You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to the next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast series. I am Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Director of Church Planting for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. With me today is our co-host, Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, who is the Director of Church Planting. Hello, Mark. Hello, Steve, and everyone who's joining us. And welcome back uh, to kind of a frequent guest of ours, the Reverend Dr. Klaus Schultz. Uh, Professor Schultz is Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions, also Dean of Graduate Studies, and the Director of PhD Program in Missiology. Welcome back, Dr. Schultz. Thank you, Steve. It's good being with you, too. So we're excited about this topic. We've kind of touched on it in previous uh, podcasts, but we're interested in diving a little bit deeper into the why and the how of church planting. So the first uh, thing we're going to look at is if we're going to talk about how we do church planting, we think that the good foundation for that is the why. So it's important for us to understand why the church needs to be about church planting. I thought it was interesting. I was asked to do a pastoral conference uh, not too long ago, and they were talking about bodily things, you know, the theology of the body and wellness and that sort of thing. And I think we need to look at that, too, as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Why is church planting important for us as a body, just like any other body? Why is it healthy for us to be reproducing? So let's dive into this discussion, and Dr. Schultz, we'll let you take it away. But you had uh, given us an article. uh, It's actually a chapter out of a book, and the chapter is Strategies for Starting Churches, and that's from Daniel Sanchez. Um, Can you give us a little rundown on what the book is? Yeah, the book is a comprehensive missiological approach to a number of things. Uh, First, uh, um, the theology itself, theology of missions, and then it looks at the context and church planting strategies. So it's a series of articles with very good authors and they are leading authors in missiology. And I thought we look at chapter 28 uh, to see uh, in that article a list of things that uh, should be considered in terms of why one plants churches and uh, what one could consider as various uh, strategical approaches to take. And so it's a good essay amongst many others. Very good. And that's what we're going to talk about, the reasons for starting new churches. But at the same time, it seems as though if you have the wrong reason, you'll have the wrong strategy. So we want to dive a little bit deeper into the why of church planning. So one of the things that's uh, mentioned, and you've mentioned this also, is that the motivation for church planting can be off, and it can be the same way with any mission in general, but it can be a motivation that's selfish or impure. What are your thoughts on a selfish or an impure motivation for planting? Well, I mean, uh, uh, when one looks at missions, you generally think of international missions overseas. And and there, you know, over the years, uh, decades and centuries, you would see missionaries engaging in missions for various reasons. And so one has often divided uh, the uh, motivations into what one would call more neutral ones, you know, go because one is told to go or more laudable, positive ones, uh, motivations that actually follow Scripture and closely and do exactly what the Lord desires us to do. 
And then there are these personal, what one call impure motives, just to seek adventure, have have some fun, experience the world, you know, as they say, if you want to see the world, join, join mission. <laughs> and so uh, the, the same thing could apply now to church planting here in North America. I mean, uh, there could be some very good starting reasons, you know, uh, basically going to scripture, finding the reasons therein, and then go perhaps also to the life of our churches and say, we need to address these as well because uh, we are a church that uh, closes churches more than actually plants them. So that would be a kind of a middle-of-the-road reason. Mm -hmm. And then there could be uh, some more negative reasons that I think are just there for selfish reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, increase the budget or find a, a, a group of people that, that can help us in, in certain ways, I, I think. We need to start with a proper biblical approach, I think, Very good. and then move our way forward. Yeah, a good uh, look at the missiology behind this that's based on a theology of the cross and not a theology of glory, I'm sure. But we can also mm -hmm. have trouble getting out of the gate, and that is where church planning faces some opposition. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what are some ways that someone who wants to plant a church or a core group that wants to plant a church uh, how might they run into some opposition? Well, uh, you know, first of all, let's ask ourselves, um, do we have enough churches in the USA? Hmm. I mean, in North America, are there enough churches? And uh, you could say, oh, we are, we are in communities where churches already exist. So you would obviously ask yourself, you know, do these communities that have a church already want additional churches being planted in their midst. And, uh, of course, most uh, opposition comes from uh, already existing churches that think that if you start a church uh, in their vicinity, that their church itself will be weakened, you know. So uh, that would be something perhaps that would uh, give reason to oppose a new church plant, that you might also uh, surrender or lose some of your members to these new church starts. So I think of, of that being a potential reason uh, not to be in favor of a new church plant. Of course, there's also budget issues that could come up. You know, who will have to start a church uh, would be the big question. Does it go with the district? Does it go with the local congregation or more than just one local congregation or the circuit? Where's the finances? Where are they going to come from? So these are questions that already... Uh, up front uh, kind of cause a church planting to become a problem. Sure. And then based on what you just mentioned too, I think one of the, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a myth, is that uh, that would mean that only a strong church can start a new one. So you have to you have to strengthen all the congregations before they could even consider. And again, if we're talking about reproduction, um, We'll talk about that as being kind of a myth. What what does that mean when you're trying to get back into your prime, and how how would it actually help you to get back into your prime by reproducing and planting? And then the other thing is, as you mentioned too, there's already enough churches, so there's got to be a better way to reach the lost. Um, that's another kind of myth that we're going to try to do some myth busting on today. So uh, we'll look at how there is really no better way to reach the lost, and how we can actually kind of energize. Uh, rather than drain our resources. So 
In terms of the rebuttal then, um, Dr. Schultz, uh, what, what about being an effective way for reaching the loss when it comes to church planting? Well, uh, you know, first of all, as I've said, you know, the population ratio to churches that already exist, you know, is increasingly widening. By that I mean uh, the population growth is, um, is increasing and the churches that are serving these uh, new communities that are emerging are not there. So I think uh, one needs to uh, dissuade or assuage the fears of those that think that uh, churches are being planted in competition to those already existing. Uh, we are uh, and have to make sure that we speak to specific areas, locations, and target audiences, you know, and make sure that these are being uh, brought uh, to, to Christ through, through a new church, uh, where, uh, in areas where uh, no churches currently exist. And I think once that uh, comes across uh, to, to, the, to the existing churches and the leadership, then I think we have already started uh, in a good way, positive way, to to affirm church planting. And secondly, I mean, the obvious good reason to do it is is that Scripture tells us to do so. You know, mm-hmm. make disciples of all nations. And as you know from Scripture in Acts two forty two forty seven, you uh, see that they are congregating also. Mm-hmm. That is, once you make disciples, you uh, congregate into a a newly formed church as well. Yeah, so we're going to try to build on the biblical reasons, and then we'll talk about some practical reasons as well. And as you have said, there, you know, there's still areas that don't have the preaching of the pure gospel, the right administration of the sacraments. And if you, if you are able to establish that in a place where you know it's a high population of people who are among the lost, there really isn't a more effective way then for reaching uh, those folks uh, who are. Uh, outside of the church. So to establish uh, a new church plant, um, you can't find a more effective way for reaching the lost. And other things might be uh, good uh, that are going on, but as the article, uh, I'm sorry, the chapter of the book uh, addresses, you know, uh, too often then what happens with congregations is there really isn't much of taking on the task of converting and forming new believers into local congregations apart from that. So it it is a very effective means, and, you know, there is a a reason why we want to kind of debunk some of these myths so we can get back uh, to the task of converting and forming new believers into these new churches. Now, the other part of that is um, there is that myth that says that church planning is only going to weaken these existing churches, but it's actually been proven uh, that the opposite is true. Just like, you know, I, I kind of joke, I'm p- past the age of having any more babies in my house other than hopefully grandchildren soon. But um, we did get these two new puppies uh, in our house. And uh, I don't spend a lot, you know me, I'm pretty active. I don't spend a lot of time sitting on the couch. But now that we got these new uh, dogs that constantly need to be exercised, um, I spend zero time on the couch because, uh, you know, I'm either doing something active or I'm keeping them active. I mean, that's what we're talking about, getting back into the prime. Having kids makes you young. Um, so this idea of how we're going to drain all of our resources, actually you're energizing the whole base. All the churches that are involved, especially a mother congregation, are, are truly energized by this new church plant activity. And then as you mentioned too, with the different demographics that are happening, uh, and again, 
were busting at the seams. I was at uh, a think tank not too long ago, cross denominations, and the number of people versus the number of churches by 2050 is almost staggering. So there is plenty of opportunity. And not only that, as we look at the demographic shifts as well, it's also been proven that there will be more diversity. You know, where, wherever you plant your church in the United States of America, um, it's pretty much guaranteed that 60% of new church starts are going to have some sort of multi-ethnic or, uh, you know, cross-cultural uh, aspect to it. So not only are you energizing the base, but you're also able to reach new people groups and new places. And that just energizes, you know, your circuit, your network, or your mother congregation, whoever it is that's active. Yeah, that's so true. And I want to add that what you said about there's an alternative, of course, to to speak to assimilation. You know, and I think we spoke about that already, that existing congregations assimilate. Hmm. And that would be a, a wonderful thing to, to occur. But, you know, the, the proximity of a church is important here. And if there's a church not available uh, within the, the area for these uh, minority groups, you could say, uh, or these ethnic groups, then obviously uh, assimilation will not take place. Mm-hmm. So a church planting, a church plant itself would be uh, the, the reasonable thing to do. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, one also needs to look into the, uh, the, the notion of assimilation that uh, churches sometimes no longer show interest into reaching out. So it, it, uh, church planting itself becomes the, the, the necessary alternative. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good way to put it. And we're going to talk yeah. about the biblical reasons. We'll talk more, too, about the practical reasons and the demographic shifts and all, all that as well. Um, but as you said, you know, um, I know in, in my own experience of the mother-daughter congregation relationship, the the daughter congregation learned a lot about, you know, how outreach was done from the mother church and how to reach into the community that they knew so well. But on the flip side, you know, this new budding congregation that was – a brand new way of doing outreach uh, for them, uh, I think they learned a lot too um, because we were very actively engaged in the community because we had to be. We were establishing a Lutheran presence in a community that had no Lutheran presence whatsoever. And so I think not only our mother congregation learned quite a bit from that and kind of energized them for new methods of doing outreach in the community, but also the whole circuit was you know, always, you know, very impressed by the, the work of this new daughter congregation that was happening. And, and I think they were able to glean some, some things from that about, oh, we can do that kind of outreach too. Mark? I was going to mm-hmm. add uh, just a, sort of a practical example of what you just said, Steve. When I was in a, uh, my first parish, we were planting a church in the next town over. And uh, this may date me a bit, but we did the uh, this phones for you campaign where you would call 20,000 people. And that would how that's how you would get your first worship service started. Oh, boy. Now, we didn't have 20,000 people in that town. So we called everybody. But, you know, that was, you know, so uh, the mission church was doing that. uh, And but then the mother church did that, too. Not so much for uh to start a new church because we we're just starting one, but rather to promote the, the fall activities and the rally days and the new start. So that was an example of how the mother church was learning again how to do evangelism with a new idea strengthened by the daughter. Sure. So again, the point being that not just strong churches exactly. can start new ones, but the idea of how this new church can actually help to strengthen uh, the mother 
and you know obviously there's a huge commitment um if you're going to be a mother congregation just like if you're going to be a parent uh you know it's it's not you know something that you take lightly but on the other hand um you don't look at it from just a totally negative perspective of oh if we have children it's going to completely uh drain us instead you see it as like this is this is something that's good and wholesome and healthy for us so very good so in your analogy, if you have two puppies like now, you would want to have three, four, five more, you know, which uh, would mean that uh, that uh, once, you know, the enthusiasm for mission exists, of course, when it comes to overseas opportunities, you know, and a church start in another country, uh, uh, you know, in, other, in another continent like Africa, you know, excites a congregation here in the U.S. They support it, you know, in various ways. All we do need to do now is to capture that enthusiasm and redirect it towards this country, you know, in areas where there is a need to plant churches. Yeah, we basically had a replant in the inner city, and that's that's a big part of it. We sent a mission team uh, to Africa, just an amazing yeah. experience. They came back so, uh, you know, energized and excited, and, you know, everybody else from the congregation, like, really was on board with that. And then it, it just brought up the question, if we can go— you know, clear across the world and do this. Why? Why not across yeah. the street in our own inner city yeah. neighborhood? And that exactly. history is not that far back uh, in this country either. Uh, if you uh, are familiar with the history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in New Mexico, for the longest time they were all called Emmanuel because Emmanuel Albuquerque had a pastor that went out in every direction planting more churches, and and he happened to call them all Emmanuel. So, to, you know, for a long, long time, it was yeah. they were. Oh, all the churches were, were from that one yeah. other church. Yeah. It was a, a testament to its ability. And yeah. uh, probably to this very day, I'm not exactly sure of the very recent history, but yeah. that remained the strongest, uh, one of the strongest churches or the strongest church in New Mexico. Yeah, black ministry is similar yeah. in the south and then yeah. St. Saint Philip's across the north. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's, that's something we should touch on is in terms of the why, too, is that there are some keys to this. You know, if, if it does, it's not that complicated if you're about outreach if you know when you're talking about having more puppies if you put it you know and we found this in a lifeway study that if you put it in the dna that you don't see yourself as the end product but that your congregation that's the daughter will one day become the mother which will become the mother which will become you know so there's kind of that constant uh you know reproduction that we're talking about going on and as long as you're caring for your worker and you know you do a good job of reaching your community and and getting the word out that you're there um you'll you'll have a a lot of barriers broken just by doing some simple things yes exactly and i think you know that was not something that uh needs to be done uh you know it was already done in the past you know as Mm -hmm. marcus just said all over, I mean, we have, what, six uh, over 6,000 congregations. How did they begin? How did they start, you yeah. know? And surely many of them uh, were, were uh, oh, they are indebted to pastors who had the vision, the idea of wanting to reach out to certain people in an area where, where there was no church. So I think uh, that mentality was there, and we just need to recapture it, I yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. That there was a frontier that was there, and it, yeah. it was going to take pioneers, not just going out and getting gold, <laughs> you know, a gold rush, but, I mean, there's a mission rush. There was, you know, people literally mm-hmm. got in their horse and buggies, and they went with a pastor, mm-hmm. and families moved out west, and they established new mm-hmm. churches. We really... 
you know, and, and the history, as you're saying, um, used to really think of the U.S. as being a frontier in a good way, you know, and, mm-hmm. and maybe we've mm-hmm. lost some of that zeal that we need to get back. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the next thing we want to talk about is, you know, we don't want to just think of this in terms of just temporal human, you know, kingdom of the left minded things. But, you know, this is not our mission. This is God's mission. So, um, Dr. Schultz, what can we start with in terms of biblical reasons for starting a new church? Well, like I said, uh, if you think about discipleship and uh, and ask yourself, what is a disciple? And obviously, he is somebody who is uh, following Christ and who has to nurture his spirituality or let it be nurtured. And so uh, it would be logical for him to congregate, for him or her as a disciple, to congregate together with others around that, what gives them nourishment and sustains them for a life eternal. And uh, so it's uh, it's deeply embedded in the Great Commission that discipleship entails not just a momentous experience, you know, at a certain point in one's lifetime, but it is a continuous process uh, that needs to be um, led to life eternal, and that can only be done in a Christian community, a church that is being planted. So to me, that would be kind of where I would go and point out to, to the body of Christ as a logical consequence of reaching out to individuals out there mm-hmm. and letting them letting them know that uh, uh, your faith is to be sustained, to be nourished through proclamation, through instruction, through worship, through prayer, through communion, through a ministry and in fellowship with one another. Yeah, very good. And yeah. not yeah. only the Great Commission, but as you also mentioned, too, it was just patterned in the early church. And you pointed out in the Book of Acts that that was a pattern. And then even looking at Paul's missionary journeys, I mean, he specifically talks about going to places where they have not uh, plowed the soil yet and they haven't planted the seed yet. He specifically wanted to be in locations and his mission journeys where he was planting new churches. So I think yeah, we that's have that how too. the the persecution from Jerusalem led to the formation of Antioch and its congregation. So wherever uh, Christians went, already in the Book of Acts, churches were being planted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of it was intentional, and some of it was God's intention. He <laughs> he was going right. to make it happen. Right. Very good point. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. just from looking at all the biblical activities of the church that we see throughout, especially in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, but uh, when when we have this great commission of making disciples by teaching and baptizing, you know, uh, really making disciples of all nations can best be seen through planting new churches. You're going into mm-hmm. these new places where people are not baptized, they have not been taught, they don't know Christ. I know for a lot of us, you know, in my age category, probably your age category, um, you know, typically I, I remember in my neighborhood there was like maybe one family that didn't go to church. And so for me to think that there's somebody out there in the United States of America who's never even heard of Jesus Christ, has never once been taught who this is, has mm-hmm. never once heard the good news of salvation, it's so foreign to me, but it's here. I mean, this is not the 70s, 80s, 90s. This is 2020, and there are so many people, and I think about even you know doing some tutoring in a public school, um, and, and for the first time, like meeting people, children, 
who have never even heard of Jesus Christ, have never heard the good news, um, they're there. And that's what church planning allows for, is going into that community, reaching those people with this great commission that we have, you know, the good news of baptizing and teaching and bringing people into the faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, all those, I think, really tie into Jesus' mandate to us is to look at the United States of America and think that, you know, it's not like it used to be where most people just grew up and you knew the story of who Jesus was. You had at least heard the gospel being proclaimed one way or another. Those days are behind us. Yeah, I mean, uh, if uh, if you think about it, they all unreached people groups in, 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 in North America. I've just... Uh, read an article here in the Great Commission Research Journal, and it says there one essay, reaching the nations through our cities. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it means. I mean, we have to, uh, since 19, uh, uh, the 1965 immigration law was changed, uh, we have many people like Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists come into this country and settling in certain regions, uh, like inner cities. And uh, so... That is what what we need to think of as well, maybe in a, in a different podcast, what, what the implications are of such unreached people. <laughs> we don't want to go off on a tangent, but uh, it is in here. It's actually in here. So we're going to look at some practical reasons for starting new churches because, I mean, yes, we, we're all about the biblical uh, reasoning behind this, but we can't deny that there's some practical reasons for starting new churches. And Sanchez touches on that. So I thought we could kind of go through some of these. And the first one was the worldwide demographic explosion, that even areas that, you know, were good church to population ratios in the past, they're losing ground. Uh, They're not even keeping up with the population growth. And then, as you said, too, um, you know, we'll talk about uh, in the cities, but what's been kind of fascinating in the United States, I was reading where, you know, we had an immigration boom, you know, and it took like 200 years to reach whatever it was, you know, 2 million people. And then uh, they were all European Christians. And how diametrically different that is right now that you, in a much shorter amount of time had the same number of people who are immigrating, most of them from non-European, non-Christian backgrounds. So um, what are your thoughts in this worldwide demographic uh, and keeping up? Yes, I mean that's that's so very true. It's uh, it's happening all over the world, not in the U.S. only, but that uh, there's a huge sector of the world's population on the move, everywhere around the world. And uh, I think um, if we start to uh, uh, see them coming here in this country, then we also need to ask where are they settling, where are they going, and obviously as newly uh, first-generation communities. Uh, they will try and seek to find places where they can still stick together in a, in a certain area. So it would come to uh, it would be a logical step then to think about church planting amongst them. Um, so I, I think that's that's one of the reasons. And uh, you know, of course, there are always uh, the, there's always the question: who identifies these uh, people groups? You know, do we have as a church the ability to 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 find them, do we know which areas are being populated, and uh, can we uh, then create a structure that will um, will enable us to engage church planting activities? Yeah. Oh, very good. And then, yeah. kind of the next thing that Sanchez brings up is just this idea of congregations plateauing. And I know my counterpart on the revitalization side would say, you know, we probably have 
upwards of 70-80% of LCMS churches have kind of plateaued or are in decline. And again, this isn't about institutional preservation here, but it is, you know, kind of uh, the maybe the fact, as Sanchez brings up, that churches, when they mature, they kind of start to concentrate more on these, what they would call maintenance activities. They kind of lose their fervor for evangelism and outreach that they had as a new church plant. Um, and then they aren't really reaching these new sectors of society that would draw in new members. Do you think that's fair to say? Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to put an age on it. You know, we have some <laughs> congregations that are uh, maybe 110, 120 years old and uh, have managed in some ways to keep this uh, evangelistic enthusiasm further going, you know. Yes. So I would say that that is uh, not necessarily across the board uh, that we can say, oh, you are 10 years old. Now you must surely be plateauing and getting tired <laughs> for the evangelism. <laughs> And mission. But sure. I would say that uh, there is obviously some truth to this, that um, once a church starts to mature, it structures it around other principles, you know, communal ones that are more inward focused. And I think uh, one needs to be honest uh, and, and admit that this is so. I don't think we can lie our way past the truths, you know, of church planting uh, that uh, that reflect some of these congregations not wanting to do so or not knowing exactly, being taught by uh, by somebody as to what the challenges are to live in a community here and what it means to plant a church across uh, in another area. So I think we need to look uh, uh, in the mirror and, and admit uh, to, to a certain extent congregations like this exist. Yeah, and... I you know, I'm going to make my big confession here to you guys. Uh, talking yeah. about age, even as a new church plant, maybe even a year old, when we started to talk about buildings, you know, we, we met in a funeral home chapel. We outgrew it, went to a gymnasium at an elementary school, and then we were blessed to find it was kind of a banquet hall that was, you know, for lease. And it was the first time we had full use of office space and the worship uh, space for the whole week. And that was great, you know, but man, again, being new, no Lutheran presence, we were out there. We were doing outreach. We weren't sitting around in these offices all day. We were in the nursing home, the women's shelter, the, you know, uh, we went to the shanty towns. I mean, we were out there doing all sorts of good outreach. And I remember kind of having that fear in the back of my mind, like as soon as we started talking about we're going to get an established building and there's going to be a campaign for, you know, putting the money into the building. And then we're going to have to move to a different location that might not be as close to the people that are most in need for human care. And I started to have that in the back of my mind. We're going to spend more time, you know, on signups for who's, you know, mopping the floors than we are, you know, let's keep doing what we've been doing to get where we're at because we we grew quickly. We kept outgrowing uh, our space. You know, we had people that were, you know, non-Lutherans and, you know, that kind of age category of millennials and young adults that seemed so elusive when they saw the kind of work we were doing in the community were attracted to that. And, you know, I was kind of, I was a little nervous about losing the mission zeal uh, as soon as we'd be kind of, I mean, we weren't the new kid on the block who was, you know, out there doing all these things, but we're going to be really established, like a real church with a real building now. 
Yeah, I mean, look, let's face it. There are some uh, churches that have given up on their community. I mean, it's like they are they have solely become a commuting church. Uh, I can name a few here in Fort Wayne, too, that uh, somehow uh, no longer look at their uh, locality and uh, that they are a church in the midst of a community that has changed over time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one should alert them again to take a fresh look and challenge themselves into how are we responding to uh, this very community that uh, we live in. I mean, the church is located in. So that's an important question. And also, I mean, I must say, you know, there is, uh, in North America, there is this fascination for for newness. Uh, I mean, just imagine if a restaurant opens up, why do so many people come to it uh, for the first time (laughs) visit? Just to see what's new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's always something like that. Uh, also with church plants, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with a, with the freshness, with the newness, uh, people get more enthusiastic than going with the old. Uh, you know, that that might just be ten years old, but it's already old. You know, in a way, <laughs> they would say. Sure. Sure. Good point. Yeah. All right. And then Sanchez's next point is that the new congregations often are pretty nimble. So they're more flexible. They can adapt quicker to needs in the communities. Uh, it talks about the established church then. Um, you know, they're kind of, they've got things down. You know, they've got a system in place and they're they're happy with that. What do you think about how new congregations can be a little bit more flexible well, uh, you know, I think what new congregations are is that they form kind of a little group between all the existing churches and the community out there because they've be, just been drawn out of it. They have just come, you know, kind of like first generations out of that community and would know each uh, other better, you know, and would say, uh, you know, I, I I am aware of the needs that I have uh, uh, that are in the midst of this community because I come from it. And so they would have better information and better access and a better network uh, relating to the, directly to, to the community. Whereas the older churches have already, uh, uh, as I've said, maybe given up on the community or find it difficult to reinvigorate their interest for it because they have become uh, removed from it. So I think that's the truth I would agree with. And, but if I could see a pushback on this, and it might be why some people do kind of give church planning a bad name, is that when you when you read something like this, what he's talking about, to the extreme that he, he's touching on all these things with worship and teaching and all these things, wow. it makes people a little nervous that, you know, you might be reading into this that, oh, well, that means that the new people can just have a reason to throw out all of the Lutheran ethos then. You know, because this is what the community needs. They don't need anything that's kind of connected to our Lutheran identity. So, uh, you know, toss it all out for the sake of evangelism. And I think that would be the pushback I think some people would have that, yes, you can be quick and you can be nimble and you can meet the needs of the communities, especially in the way that you reach out to people, establish relationships with people, provide mercy and human care to people. You know, those are things that a new congregation, you know, they're they're not stuck in their ways because they haven't done the same thing for the last hundred years. Oh, we've always done this, you know, whatever ministry that way. But I don't think you want to necessarily take it to that extreme that he's kind of touching on in terms of just throwing out the whole Lutheran identity. 
Is that fair oh, to say? No. I mean, well, first of all, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely this is not going to say that, you know, we have to uh, decrease so that they may increase in a, in, a, in a negative way, you know, that we actually throw out our worship uh, ethos, you know, the, the, uh, all that what we identify as important Lutheran elements. I mean, I... I would, however, want to challenge our congregations also to ask, what are the, uh, the non-negotiables that we want to stick uh, and fight our battles on? And what are, what are they not? What are non-negotiables? And I think there should be some form of reciprocity between a church and its community and saying, you know, we want to receive them into our midst. And what is it that we can do to facilitate that uh, assimilation better, you know? Well, how can we become a church planting core group in this area and pay attention closely to their needs and to their interests? Mm-hmm. That does not mean we sacrifice anything, but we should surely know exactly about what Lutheran identity is and not to stick and cling to some identity that is not Lutheran, right. but we still persist on it as being our tradition. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's kind of that balance. Uh, yeah. yeah, when In my it's church plant... Yeah, my church plant yeah. wasn't just a hive either. It wasn't like it was hived off of the, you know, the mother yeah. congregation and just some sort of satellite. I mean, we had our own identity, and it really fit well with our community in the end. So, but, uh, our, yeah, yeah, we had those non-negotiables and and what made us, you know, mother daughter. But on the other hand, there there was a clear distinction in the the context and and the way things were, uh, you know, in terms of the evangelistic outreach. So that's a good balance. I mean, it it it, it obviously uh, uh, helps for then if these questions arise and a congregation already tries to defend its own rights, uh, uh, that one would then start a new church. It would be an additional practical reason for a, for a new church plant, one that is willing to uh, engage the community and engage the the the, the people they they're reaching out to. And I think that often has to be done out of sheer necessity. Because, you know, there are congregations, and I would say that uh, to a certain degree, uh, this is a fear that, as you have said, um, that one, as one reaches out to people, uh, the liturgy or certain elements of one's own church's culture have to be sacrificed. So I see that fear, and uh, it's at times legitimate, but on, uh, at certain times it's used as a reason not to launch any new church plans. Hmm. Very good. And he touches on that in the next two points of his as well, where he's saying that, you know, you're, you're establishing a congregation, there might be other congregations, but they shouldn't necessarily see you as the competition. And that what he's saying is that there are going to be different people that are interested in different congregations for different reasons. So not necessarily that this is like a consumeristic thing. Hopefully it's not. Um, but at the same time, you can't expect that one congregation is going to draw every single person um, in that community. And then at the same time, there are going to be cities and communities within cities that haven't been reached with the gospel. So it's not likely that this one congregation that's anywhere near there has that depth or reach. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that too is, is important to know that 
uh, the, the, the way the congregation is set up that already exists often uh, is one that uh, people will not go to. And uh, that's a reality that unfortunately exists in my area where I currently live. There are younger people coming in, the millennials, with two or three children. They would be looking for a church with a good active daycare center or something. You mm-hmm. know? So is, is that being offered around here? No. So I, I would say that um, uh, we have to know that a church cannot possibly cater for everybody the same way. And uh, so there is a new plant needed in a certain area where people can come to and they would obviously find and join that church if, uh, if, they, if they see there and certain things being addressed that they as a young couple are looking for. Yeah, yeah, and not just you kind of talk about the different ministries that are are needed, but just uh, if we look at the, I think what he's getting at too is the idea of parish. You know, and he's saying the closer yeah. churches are to people, easier it is to reach them with the gospel and disciple them, and that really touches on what it means to be parish. Because I was in the city of Cincinnati, but I really wasn't. I couldn't just come in as being the city of Cincinnati. I was Madisonville. That was my community, my community that surrounded me. Yes, people came from other parts, but really where God had placed us was in the community of Madisonville to the people of Madisonville. And if our congregation didn't reflect the demographic and the community of Madisonville, we knew that that's where the gospel and discipleship really um, you know, comes into that idea of parish. And I think that's another important part of this as well. And you want to you want to live and breathe among that community and reach that specific community too. So you can't just say, "Well, we're in this city, so that means we're we're everywhere for everyone." When really there is, you know, sometimes really close knit community around a parish. Mark, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. and that there's you have a responsibility for that group. You mean not only that you're there and that you're with them, but in your heart, you know that that is the people that you are supposed to be reaching, and that you should be reaching. Then, if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, there, then there's something wrong. Um, you know, that was one of the, the insights I had when I was reading, you know, a long time ago, the Hammer of God, yeah. which was, okay. you know, uh, based in Sweden. It was this concept <laughs> of parish, yeah. you know, and that was that was very a new idea to me, really, at that time. But that mm-hmm. idea that everybody. And the, there and the community knows it. The yeah. community knows it too, because even though you know there are people in that community, obviously, since a lot of the people commuted in from the city and the suburbs to our church, the community saw me, even if I wasn't their pastor, as their pastor. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. when there was a, a murder that happened in a Section 8 apartment complex across the street, they weren't members, but they'd come to our VBS or they came to this or that, our HUD facility for seniors. I wasn't their pastor, but guess what? I was. They mm-hmm. saw when when, yeah. when the community hurt, when they grieved, when they needed something, when somebody you know, had to move. I mean, whatever it was, they saw me as pastor in this parish. you know. And I think that if you take that role on, you have so much more opportunity to meet people that you would never have met otherwise, and then also to reach them with the gospel. And once they start, I mean, and it's so amazing, like even homeless people, you know, and you do a homeless ministry and and they don't belong to church. 
they'll still, I mean, I love visiting and they'll, they'll still look at that guy and they'll say, that's Pastor John, that's my pastor. Mm-hmm. And, and then they start working through that process of actually becoming members because they feel welcomed and invited because they, they see the congregation as part of this community and they look at that pastor and they say, that's my pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's when you know you right. got it right. I think, uh, I think what you're saying is you take a good close look at the, at the community where you serve. Mm-hmm. And you can't say no to certain groups of people if they come and approach you. Uh, you know, it's easier to be a missionary overseas than to be a missionary in this country because somehow uh, we leave uh, uh, leave the important uh, trait of a missionary, which is to observe and to learn the people you go are sent to. You know, and uh, what you're telling me about Philadelphia is is very interesting because it tells us that you have. Uh, you have people in front of you and you look at them and you see their various traits and what they are and, and, and dress it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, kind of lets us uh, think about uh, church planting of in North America with a new kind of uh, ethos of church planting, which is to think yourself as somebody who's willing to engage the community, engage the people around you, regardless of who they are. Yeah, and then Sanchez kind of touches on that too. So you, you mentioned Philadelphia. So one of Mission Field USA's projects, there was a, a congregation, 11 different language groups surrounding this congregation. Obviously, um, you know, uh, like m- most congregations in these inner city settings, not necessarily reflective uh, right away of that many different nationalities. But if you are going to do this kind of mission work in that kind of a parish setting that's brand new, uh, there's much more likelihood than that you're going to serve among a lot of different minority groups and ethnic groups. And so there will be more cross-cultural ministry opportunities um, because you're going into these new locations and you're seeing that at mm-hmm. this, this is my mission field. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think you're mm-hmm. going to have a natural um, outgrowth of that being that you'll have more diversity and more cross-cultural mm-hmm. ministry. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It always makes sense what you say. <laughs> I learned from the I learned from the best. I gotta say, Doctor Schultz, uh, full uh, yeah, full candor here. He is my church father. He, everything I learned about mission, I learned from this guy, especially his book Mission from the Cross. If you have not read it, I absolutely, absolutely recommend anyone interested in mission work in America. You gotta read Mission from the Cross by Doctor Schultz. All right. Well, we got a couple more points here that Sanchez gives mm-hmm. to us. The the next one, uh, his number seven in his chapter of practical reasons is starting new churches can inspire established churches towards church planning. Many churches that have started new congregations have experienced their own what he calls revival. Um, after seeing their daughter congregations grow, established churches then kind of get a new enthusiasm. Uh, also, and enlarges their own vision for the Great Commission. We've kind of touched on that, but what more do you have to say about that, Dr. Schultz? Yeah, I mean, uh, that is so much uh, 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 truth as well. I mean, look, I have uh, the experience of of having students from multi-ethnic countries who have uh, come here to study, and once uh, churches and communities here get in touch with these they start to get in, show an interest. Uh, friendships, bridges are built. 
they themselves get engaged in the activities. So I think what we should say is that um, it is uh, it is reciprocal, the joy. Mm. The people on the receiving side uh, are receiving the gospel, the message of salvation, at the same time to see that being received and welcomed uh, uh, on part of the, the host group or uh, the daughter church that's being planted, for them to experience that uh, and see others being so joyful over the news that they may have grown tired of maybe or have just accepted for being gra- uh, granted, you know, um, uh, that that certainly is is one that uh, reinvigorates the understanding of mission. Yeah, you're right. That really kind of flips things on its head. And I've heard this said before, too, even from some people at the Sen Institute in one of the meetings I was at, that this narrative of the church is in decline, but that the nations are at our doorsteps and, you know, we we don't have to do international mission work across the world anymore because it's right here in our own backyard. But this whole concept of it's not about institutional preservation and it's not just a narrative of decline. What you're saying is that we have people coming from all over the world who already are bringing the gospel with them. So uh, one of the, the, I think I might have mentioned this before, but there's a movie called Arrival. And so these aliens come to Earth and they provide this amazing technology that's going to help the earthlings flourish. But they do it also for a selfish reason. They know that one day that this technology they leave with the earthlings and it's going to bring them kind of their own salvation, um, they're going to need the earthlings to bring it back to them. And so uh, the narrative then is that we have sent missionaries around the world. We have established these church partners. There are Lutheran Christians um, to the four corners of the earth. And now they're coming back into a secularized, you know, again, uh, uh America that is no longer considered to be a Christian nation and they're bringing the gospel with them and how they're re-energizing us um, by by being so filled with zeal for mission work and seeing the U.S. now, you know, the one who brought them the gospel, now they see themselves as the missionaries to the U.S. I think that's an ex- exciting prospect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, do also, you know, uh, if you think about the old congregations, as he says here, being inspired, if you think about somebody receiving the gospel of Christ and inviting you then to their homes to say a prayer and to praise the Lord and to thank him for 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 um, uh, being the, uh, his or her savior. It's like Lydia inviting mm-hmm. Paul and Barnabas to her house and <laughs> saying, if you truly believe that I am now converted, you have to accept my invitation to my home and to have a meal with us. I think there is this holistic uh, experience then that comes uh, with a new church plant that the, the host or the mother church uh, that does the planting sees something emerging out of a seed growing and flourishing. And that surely will be an experience of joy, yeah. a joy that the gospel has found roots. Yeah, beautiful picture from the Bible, no doubt. The last point that Sanchez gives to us is that one of the good things and practical reasons with new churches is that how it engages people. And so in new churches, you know, whatever the activity of the church is, it really draws people in. You kind of mentioned the word assimilation. We talked about this a little bit in our previous uh, 
podcast, but this whole idea how everybody is kind of active and engaged from from day one when you're involved in a church plant. You, usually, you have kind of some champions uh, from the community and that neighborhood that also helps quite a bit. Again, on the international context, you know, if you if you reach out to a Liberian evangelist in the inner city neighborhood, you know what a blessing that is because now they can go around to all the other Liberian families and say, hey, there's a new church being planted. Um, come and join us. And so everybody can feel like they're fully participating in the life of the church. And that's just a, another healthy thing. So what what other advantage do you see, uh, Dr. Schultz, of being able to participate fully in a new church plan? Well, that's exactly the key, I think, to uh, to the church uh, being uh, a flourishing, growing church, because the more you have participating in its life, the more people will become uh, also uh, engaged with others out there. And uh, so I do think that um, uh, that uh, a key to a church plant is that you not only have the pastor engaged, uh, but that the members, like you say, leading members, uh, but also uh, others become participating uh, members or church plan in the church plan. So I do think it has to go through the entire uh, section of the congregation uh, so that the church plan itself is uh, owned by everybody who is participating in it. And once they are all participating, they have different friends, different neighbors, uh, different groups that uh, that they can uh, talk to and and invite in. And so you would have from a small group that is being seconded, by the way, we're talking here of a daughter church emerging from mm-hmm. a mother, mm-hmm. and that it then, it then uh, grows due to the fact that all those that have been volunteering uh, uh, voluntary church planters uh, by letting them be seconded to a certain area as the daughter church would then be able to invite others in. So I do think uh, participation across the board is key. Right. It cannot be surrendered just to one single person uh, called the church planter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's just a great opportunity for people who are even brand new to the church uh, to feel like they're really part of the activities, but more importantly, part of that family of God. And it's really what I think makes church planning such an amazing thing is to have that family feel. Uh, so, you know, Mission Field USA listeners, if we haven't convinced you by now, if you haven't been convinced by Dr. Schultz, you know, I just don't know what to say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, hopefully, I think... hopefully we've will... convinced him, Dr. Schultz. I, I think if they haven't been convinced, then they then they are either uh, um, difficult people who haven't still had any, any interest in church planting in the first place. All right, you heard it here from Dr. Uh, Schultz. You know, but I, I do want to encourage all our church planters to um, to structure our synod in such a way that church planting can occur, so that yep. these initial reservations we spoke about when we started this podcast don't emerge. Jealousy, fear of stealing sheep, you know, those various things that might uh, uh, cause, because there's a lot of of things that are occurring in this country uh, and also new emerging communities that need a church, and uh, I hope that we can do that. Yeah, and that's one of the things I want to point out, too. It's not like we live in a bubble and don't realize what 2020 is. You know, these are challenging 
times for us and even the thought of you know a new start as simple as that might be and it really just means that you have a group of people that gather around the word of god to begin with and you hope that maybe one day this will become a chartered church i mean that's really all we're talking about but even that can be such a challenge these days but i just want to point out that this is not the first time the lutheran church missouri synod has been here and i think it's kind of fascinating i've kind of walked through the history of church planning in the LCMS, and it was from the time of Winnikin, the second president of the LCMS. He was already saying we can't just focus, you know, our outreach on Christian immigrants, but we have to also, especially in our cities, think about the millions upon millions of unbelievers who have not been reached yet with the good news of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ. And so it's been in our DNA, again, going back to those frontier times, church planning is just part of who we are, so much so I find it fascinating that, you know, the cover of Time magazine back in the 50s was about Lutheran church planning because there was such a rapid growth at that time. And as we think about the pandemic and the turmoil and everything that's going on in the U.S. and especially in our cities, you know, think about the LCMS, that even after two world wars, even after the Depression, even after the Spanish flu, how did the Synod back, bounce back? from these national tragedies, it was the work of God. It was God's mission, and it was church planting. So these are not new, you know, things for the LCMS. We've actually been here before. We've been through national tragedies, and one of the ways that the LCMS was able to bounce back from these tragedies was through church planting because it was God's mission. Now you look forward to right now in 2020, we are living in the third largest mission field in the world. You know, we have the third most population of people who are unchurched outside of the church. And also we see this massively shifting demographic and seeing international mission now in our own backyard. So yes, these are challenging times. Uh, It's not gonna be easy for us to necessarily reap this harvest, but we cannot deny we can't deny that the harvest is ripe in 2020, that no other time did the world need us more than they need us now. If we're going to heal a nation, if we're going to you know, overcome the divide, if we're going to bring the, peace of pe- the Prince of Peace and his, his kingdom that unites, um, America needs church planning. America needs new mission work being done and to see that, hey, there is really, really, really a frontier, and we need the pioneers who are willing to go out there and to work those fields. Amen. (laughs) All right, so now, hopefully, we really got everybody convinced, and they're going to want to, okay, you convinced us. Dr. Schultz, you convinced us. Let's let's talk about the how. So in our next podcast, we're looking forward to diving deeper into the how of church planning. So thank you, uh, Mark, as always, for being our co-host. Thank you so much, Dr. Schultz, for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for bringing up this topic and discussing it. I think it has, as you have said, so much value for our synod, you know, for the kingdom of God itself and for the church universal. So um, uh, let's uh, not grow tired of talking about it. Amen. We won't grow tired because you're on next. So join us next time for Dr. Schultz as he dives into the how of church planning. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.